Welcome to The Naked Truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Genesis, chapter 31. If you want to read along with me, we're going to begin at verse 1. Here we go. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was their father's, and from what their father, and from what was their father's, he's acquired all of this wealth. So it sounds like envy, maybe a little jealousy. There are the sons, his brothers-in-law, are um in their feelings about the fact that Jacob seems to have outprospered them. They don't know the tricks he was playing with the livestock as far as the rods and all of that. Um, so they're probably wondering, confused, how come he's got so many more? How come his flock's so much larger than theirs when he's taking care of both flocks? Uh, and that's his own family he did that to. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban. Indeed, it was not favorable toward him as before. So why would it be? <laughs> you see, everybody can see, uh, although they don't know why, they can see that he's clearly got a magic touch with the animals, but the touch only seems to extend to his own, not the other animals he's taking care of, so they don't understand why. And he's probably walking around acting innocent. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to, your, to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I'll be with you. So that's an interesting statement that we're, it's the Lord who saying, is saying this to him, um, telling him to return to the land of uh, his family. His family is Laban's family. Remember, he married his cousin and was sent there to marry his family. So it seems strange that um, that'd be the way the Lord would put it if this is the Lord talking. But we can see what he's saying. He's telling him to go back to his side of the family or to his family, his own immediate family, who, if according to narrative, unless he's, there's been visited, visits that haven't been mentioned, he's been away from for two decades and then some. Um, but now it's a good time to go back to them. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock. So he's gotten this message from, we'll say the Lord, since that's what it says, um, to pack it up and move it. And so now he's telling his wives, at least the two main wives, not the slaves who also had kids from him, um, but the two wives, he's giving them a message and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. So he's acting kind of innocent, like he doesn't know why they take issue with the flock that say, his flock has multiplied exceedingly and the flock of their fathers is not. And he's saying, um, God here uh, translates, it seems God translates to Elohim, but the word Lord has different translations. Um, sometimes it's Yah, sometimes it's El, sometimes it's Yahweh, sometimes it's Jehovah, depending on what book in the Bible. Um, but God seems to consistently translate to Elohim because other than that, theos is the Greek word that in the New Testament that God translates to and it stays pretty consistent there. But in the Old Testament, it translates to different words for Lord. Whatever the case may be, he's saying that he's telling his wives that he can tell it's time to hit it. And you know that all that with all my might, I've served your father. So he's saying, he's telling his wives, his father-in-law, because it's his father-in-law, their daddy, who's um, not pleased with him. He's letting them know, look, you've seen all I've done for your daddy all these years, for these two decades. You've seen what I did to get you to 
uh, or at least one of you, and then the others is all sort of fringe benefits. Um, he's telling them, like he's pointing all the, out all the hard work he's put in for their family. He's not talking about how he, the tricks he played with the livestock to make some more uh, fruitful and multiply and others not so much, but on the surface, he's letting them know he's been done right by them. Yet your father has deceived him, he's saying, and changed his wages 10 times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. So he's saying, he, he's pointing out the fact that their father has been deceitful and uh, inconsistent in the contractual agreement they had with him taking care of the flocks. But of course, like most people, not pointing out the part that he played in it. If he said thus, the speckles should be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streak shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streak. So he's saying the father-in-law would see that the different uh, batches of herds that would keep coming out would be uh, whatever ones were assigned to Jacob as his wages and not ever the ones he had. So it seems his father-in-law would say, okay, well, in that case, I'll take the spotted ones. And then instead of the spotted ones being in the flock, then it'd be the streak ones. So then he'd switch and take the streaks. But he doesn't know the games that his son-in-law, who he's hired to take care of the flocks, was playing with the um, popular rods to make certain ones more uh, frisky than others. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So again, he's acting like, oh, it's all on the surface. It's just how God wanted things to be. God saw to it that my flock should be the ones that should multiply exceedingly and not your dad's. And it happened at, all, at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. So he's saying he even dreamed about it already that he was going to be the one having a dominion over all the flocks because whatever flocks, all the ones that had the streaks and spots were his and they're having their way with all the lambs jumping all over them, reproducing. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. So he's telling them the dream that he had where he saw that he was going to have all this livestock and that an angel spoke to him. And let's just see um, what these translations are. Okay, so it says the angel of God. Uh, the angel translates to Elohim just like God does. It looks like it's the same word. Hmm, that's peculiar. Uh, the word for the angel and the angel of God, at least on the blueletterbible.org website. If you want to see what I'm talking about, you'll get a better idea what I mean with these translations. Um, oh, I don't know. I, I, the word the, it seems to be L also, just like in Spanish. Um, and that seems to be part of the way the name is made up, I don't know, above me. But he's saying that God is the one who's blessed him with all these different things. And it's God, that God is the reason he's so prosperous. And now he's saying that an angel of God has appeared to him and called him. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. So here, it's interesting how the God of the Old Testament is always so attentive. It seems again and again attentive to when men are suffering a little bit 
but doesn't seem to be noticed, take notice at all of the woman, female, women suffering again and again throughout the Bible and even being treated as property. The only time you see someone in the Bible, or at least the first time I can think of, you see someone in the Bible taking up for the equality of the sexes is Jesus. His message seems to level the playing field. Otherwise, throughout the Old Testament, the women get seem, seemingly no regard, even from the entities described as God again and again. So he's saying anyway that his suffering has been so great that God has noticed it and decided to bless him and by making all the flocks just reproduce again and again, whatever his wages are meant to be. I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now rise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. So he's letting him know God came to him in a dream and told him, I'm the same one that appeared to you when you set up that stone pillar um, before. Um, and God here is translated as El again, so it's moving around. He's letting him know, I saw you then, and I'm that same God from there. And I'm telling you now it's time to pack it up and move it. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? So his wife's like, what's left for us here with him? He sold us off his property and uh, and and uh, he even swapped one for the other when one went at the wedding night of the other. So they're like, what's the point of sticking around here? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he sold us and also completely consumed our money. Uh, let me read that again. Are we not considered strangers by him? For he sold them. He's saying he sold, they're saying he sold them, which basically he did, and also completely consumed their money. So they're looking at, uh, it seems, they're looking at the portion of things that they would have inherited um, being with their father that. He hasn't well managed that. He's consumed it. And again, I don't know how much they know about what the games their husband was playing with the livestock, but I'm sure that didn't help their daddy's bottom line. For all these riches which God has taken from their father, is what they're saying, are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. So talk about covetous. They're saying that, Whatever the case may be, whatever going, whatever's going on with their daddy, they know that uh, it's actually they feel entitled to all of it, them and their children. So they're like, so whatever God told you to do, go ahead and do it, letting them know they're with him, not with their daddy. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. So he's decided to pick it up and leave. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions, which he'd gained, his acquired livestock, which he'd gained in Padanaram, to go to his father, Isaac, in the land of Canaan. So he's done what he was instructed to do in his dreams, to pick up and leave. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were, were her father's. So... It's not clear what makes them idols since uh, there's been no command to only serve one God to this point. Uh, excuse me. So to me, it would seem she's packing up whatever it is that they worship. It'd be like you packing up your crucifix or your candles or whatever it is you use in your 
worship ceremony, um, she's taking her father's things for whatever reason. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he did it on the sly. He picked up his family and left without telling his father-in-law. So he fled with all that he had. He rose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So he's hauling boogie. He's packed it up and left with his wives and his kids and his livestock and left without saying a word to their father, his father-in-law, or his employer also, since, you know, they did have a contract. And the man was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. So it's not clear what took so long for him to get word, but whatever the case may be, the father-in-law got word days later. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days journey. And he took overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. So a week went by and he was able to still track them. That reminds me of Gunsmoke, how you could track people in the Old West by the tracks they left. So I guess he's able to follow them on the tracks they went through. But after three days with all of the countryside and the people, I guess it wasn't as many people back then, but whatever the case may be, a week passed, but he was able to find them, catch up to them and overtake them. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So uh, it's pointing out that he's Syrian. So that gives you an idea, at least by modern times, what kind of complexion he had, if that sort of thing is important to you. It would only be important to me in the sense that so many things about the Bible and life in general get whitewashed, where you're to believe any hero is white and anyone, any villain is dark. Um, or white or black, however you want to think of it, the heroes are light and the light, light villains are dark. And you see here, this these he's Syrian. So it lets you know what side of the world this is all happening in. And he too is getting a visit, it says, from God, letting him know to watch his mouth. So the man overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And so again, that was also in a dream. So these people keep interacting with who's identified as God in dreams. And not always, sometimes it seems that they're physically within the presence of God. Again and again, you see God interacting with people through dreams so far, at least in this instance. Um, so he was able to catch up with them and um, pitched his tent. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? that you've stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword. He's asking him, why'd you, why'd you hit it? Why'd you leave on the slide? Why'd you sneak away? Why didn't, why didn't you, um, uh, why'd you keep it to yourself? Why didn't you share? Why didn't you let me know you're leaving? Why'd you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? Or I might've sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and heart. So he's saying, why didn't you tell me? We could have had a going away party. Probably not what he would have done, but he's asking him that just to see what he says. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you've done foolishly in so doing. So he's been told to watch his mouth, according to the narrative, by God in a dream. And so he's probably holding back, even in these things he's saying. But he's telling him it was foolish of him to not let him know he's leaving. 
It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So this is him being careful with what he says to his son-in-law uh, because he's concerned with what God brought to him in that dream. So again, he's probably biting his tongue with what he really wants to say. And now you've surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So he's saying, so he's letting, he's sort of letting it blow over saying, I don't understand why you snuck off like a thief, but I'm not going to make an issue about it because God told me to let it go or not make, not say anything good or bad to you about your move. Probably because the, presumably in the narrative, the same God is the one who told him to move. So telling him don't interfere with that plan, basically. So he's saying, so I'm not going to say that to you. He's like, and I'm just going to go ahead and let that go. But in but on a whole other note, why did you steal his idols? Is what he's basically asking him. Then Jacob answered and said, little man, because I was afraid. For I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. So again, with the fear. And these are the patriarchs that are supposed to be have gone down in history is so faithful that they got God's attention and even the face-to-face -face time with God Almighty and uh, God to move in their lives. And yet you have to wonder why they don't seem particularly courageous or valiant or chivalrous at all. And yet again and again, they're held up in modern times even as the fabulous biblical patriarchs that people should strive to be like. And they're actual history seems to just get whitewashed. So anyway, then Jacob answered and said that he's afraid. That's why he did it, because he was afraid. With, with whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Jacob is telling him, look, I didn't steal your, your ish, but if you find anything of yours, your gods, your idols, among my uh, among my company, then go ahead and take it and kill whoever stole it. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. So their father and his father-in-law, their father, has searched through their things and not been able to find um, the idols that he's looking for. And now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. So again, it makes me think that it's something like the size of maybe a crucifix or something like that. The fact that it's compact enough that um, that she could um, tuck them away like that and then just uh, sit on them. Uh, but... Um, Whatever the case may be, that's what she's done. She's hidden them from her daddy. And why would she do that with all their riches? Why not just buy another one? If it's something like a crucifix or a totem pole or a rosary or some sort of religious imagery that she feels bound to, why steal it? Um, I guess out of convenience, though, and maybe because it's linked to her father. God only knows. So anyway, he's looking for it and can't find it. And his child who took it isn't volunteering any help. She said to her father, let, not, let it not displease my Lord that I not cannot rise before you, for the man or woman is with me. And he searched but did not find the household idols. So she's telling her daddy there, uh, don't, let it, uh, get, don't let it irk you that I'm not going to get up and uh, greet you and 
see to you like you may expect me to normally do. Uh, she's saying because she's on her period. Uh, that's what she means by the whole man or women thing. Excuse me. So she's saying she's not able. She's lying, basically. Well, she may not be lying about being on her period, but she could have got up if she wanted to because she had just gotten up and stolen the idol and tucked it away in the uh, saddlebag. But whatever the case may be, um, she's told him, don't let it bother him. Um, then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you so hotly pursued me? So he's saying, what have I done so wrong that you felt the need to get on the road and chase us down and pursue us like this uh, a week into the desert, the wilderness, whatever the case may be, from Syria to wherever they're heading, Bethel, I think it is. Um, he's like, why is it that, what is it that was so missing from your existence that you needed to hunt me down like you're uh, wanted dead or alive or something? What did he do so wrong? Although you've searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. So he's saying, okay, so it was so important for you to chase me down for a week in the desert to um, come and see what it is that I was doing. And now that you found me, you accused me of stealing something. Now you've searched all through everything. So if you found what it is, that you accuse me of stealing, go ahead and bring it out here so that everyone can see it. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I've not eaten the rams of your flock. So now he's, this seems phony. He's pretending like he's really done so right by him, by his flocks, when he knows good and well what he did as far as making some more active than others, or at least uh, active reproductively than others. Well, whatever the case may be, he wasn't apparently paid to hus for husbandry duties just to uh, babysit, or babysit or sheep sit them. So I guess he, it's a fine line. So he's letting him know, I haven't been eating your uh, lamb's chops or anything like that. I haven't been making any goat stew, none of that. I haven't done any of that with your stuff. He's like, and I've done right by you for two decades. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss. He said he bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So he's letting him know when things went wrong, he got blamed for it and took the blame for it. When things went right, he um, he also expects to take the blame for it um, or I'll get the credit for it. He's saying either way. He was the one that it all fell on, whether things went right or wrong. There I was in the day and with there I was in the day. The drought consumed him, he sang, and the frost by night and his sleep departed from his eyes is what he's saying. So he's saying he had it rough uh, working for his father-in-law, working night and day, losing sleep, having to deal with elements. He's like he went through all of that. Thus I've, he, thus, I've been in your house 20 years. I, okay, let me get this right. He said, thus, he's been in your house 20 years. He served you 14 years for your two daughters and six for your flocks. And you've changed his wages 10 times. So he's saying he worked for the two daughters. He didn't even mention the other two baby mamas, the slaves that he got 
who've given him even more children to help with those flocks. They don't even get a mention, but he's saying that he's running down the history of what he's gone through with his father-in-law and the two daughters that he's worked for basically as property, as reward for his work and how inconsistent his father-in-law has been. And now he says, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So he's letting him know uh, God's watching all of these things. Like I've said a thousand times with it seeming like it's a big picture sort of event or the world is a stage sort of setup or God's watching things to see what paths we take. He's saying that God sees how his father-in-law has done him and has avenged him or at least rebuke his father-in-law for how he's done him. Now, it's again, it, does, it doesn't say anything about how he did his father-in-law uh, as far as with the sheep and the flocks, getting them to be reproductive and not so much, but he's pointing out what his father-in-law did wrong, something that people generally are good at, finding fault in others and overlooking our own. Excuse me. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children. And this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they've born? So his father-in-law sassing him right back, letting him know, look, anything you have is actually mine, even though it's really not. But he's letting him know um, that. It sounds like he wants to tell him if he wants to, he'll if he wanted to, he could take it all back. He could take his daughters back and all the flocks and herds back. Since for the most part, I mean, he didn't show up there broke. He had property and stuff when he showed up there. At least I think he did. I can't quite recall. I remember one of them showed up with property and stuff. Maybe that was his father. Well, in this case, he showed up there and he worked and gained a whole lot of things working there with his father-in-law. So his father-in-law, his father-in-law Laban is looking at it as, look, you had didn't have much when you showed up with me, but now you've got plenty, including my daughters. He's like, so don't um, make it seem like you haven't gotten anything from me in all these 20 years. Um, but he's saying, um, what can he do about it now? They're grown now. Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So now he's basically saying, let's come up with a peace treaty. Um, and settle all of this so that it won't keep being an issue between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. So again, with this setting up stones, it's um, it's their way of making a contract, basically, um, an agreement. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. So it makes me think of like how you make a campfire. Um, they've set it up like that to break bread and share a meal. Laban called it Yegar Sahudatha, but Jacob called it Galid. So yeah, forgive me on the names of the pronunciations. That sounds like it'd be a name from India, actually. So I wonder how, um, if that uh, plays a part in this also. Probably does, but I don't know. Um, but it translates to heap of witness. That's what the Yegar Sahudatha does. Uh, and um the Galid translates to heap of witness. So they're, they're using the stones, the pillars, the as monuments, as a, a document of their contract between them, something that won't move. Those stones will 
be around. Even if they get moved, the stones will still exist. So sort of say that's the lasting nature of their contract also. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it is its name was called Galid. So he's saying that um, that's why it's called Galid as the witness, the heap of witness. Also Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. So I remember from church, that's what a lot of churches, especially black churches would say, basically at the end of the service, um, at the end of everything you say that and then everyone sort of adjourns and leaves. But that's basically what he's saying, um, that let the stones be a witness between them and let God witness between them to make sure they abide by their contract, uh, even when they're not around each other. If you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. So he's saying, even though he's not there to witness it, he knows God, see, God sees it all. And so if he does something like steps out on his daughters by taking other wives, which again, the maidservants, the slaves don't even get included in that, even though they've borne him children also. And it doesn't get um, uh, any rebuke by God. Uh, so is this really God Almighty that he's actually interacting with? Hmm. I guess you have to figure. Uh, it doesn't seem like what a God would approve of, or at least tacitly approve of uh, by modern standards, but it's supposed to be God. Then the man said to Jacob, here is this heap, and here's this pillar, which I placed between you and me. So again, they're just using the heap, the inanimate objects, just like a contract. It doesn't speak, but it does speak. It says something. Um, a stop sign doesn't speak either, but it says something. So it's they're saying that the inanimate objects, those stones are going to be the pillars, the contract between them. That this heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. So they're saying, let this be a landmark, basically, um, between us. So it doesn't mean it, I mean, other people even have to know about it, but they know that set of stones, the pillar and the rocks it's, that they gathered and set around it, that they all had a hand in setting up. They're saying that's going to serve as the witness for all of them that they're not going to um, be out for blood, be after each other, be adversaries and cross beyond that point from one side to the other to do either of the other, each other harm. So meaning if they cross that border, if they cross that line, that's the line, that's their red line. And say if they cross that, then it has to only be with good intent. And they have that as their agreement between them. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. So they're saying this basically by their, the, they're swearing and agreeing to that God's going to watch out to see that they both keep the agreement that they made, the contract between them. Um, then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. So basically a family reunion on the mountain now that they had their peace treaty. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his 
place. So they had their get together. He cleared the air. They made peace. And he's gone on about his business back to where he was before and letting Jacob and his daughters and all that they had go on in, in peace. So the family's at peace again by making sure they keep their distance from each other. So that actually is very practical and a good thing in many cases. I know it in mine for sure. Anyway, that ends this reading. I appreciate you checking it out with me and hope it was a blessing for you as always. Uh, uh, we have these readings of the Naked Truth on Mondays and Wednesdays where we're focusing on the Old Testament books. And on Saturday nights, that's where we focus on the red letters of the Bible, things Jesus had to say that appear in only six of the 60 plus books of the Bible. So feel free to read along with me with those uh, on Saturday nights, just after midnight, early Sunday mornings. And I Zoom those also. The link is there on my site, which is my next point. If you're curious to know more about me and you're an adult, you can go to my website and find out a lot about all about this, your messenger, with the links on the left of hungtgirl.com. That's the name of the site. And the links on the left, body, mind, spirit, and soul tell you all about me and these past readings. Feel free to help me by getting a membership or making a donation or just enjoying the free content. Clicking on the pictures will let the videos show you what me and my friends and probably some of your friends too are up to. Stay safe. God bless you. And thanks again for joining me now. Wear your mask and wash your hands and I'll see you next time. God willing. Thanks again. Peace to you. And Merry Christmas. It's just a couple of days away. <laughs>